Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training five secrets to taking a break from drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60 minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about aligning your core values with alcohol-free life. And if you don't yet know why this is really important work, don't worry. My guest and I will talk you through it and we'll talk you through how this will help you in going alcohol-free navigating that time as well as really for the rest of your life. So my guest today is Libby Nelson. You may recognize her because she's been on the podcast before in a really popular episode about navigating midlife with the work of Brene Brown. She's also a very good friend of mine. We met six years ago. I was one year alcohol-free when we met And I was fangirling on her because I basically want to be Libby when I grow up. She's got just the best energy. Friends of mine have coached with her and just rave about how amazing it is. So I know you're going to love this episode. Libby Nelson is a professional certified coach. 
She's trained in the work of Brene Brown and is a certified Daring Way facilitator, as well as a Gottman Institute Bringing Baby Home educator. In her private practice, Libby coaches bright, high-achieving professionals in creative, transformative life shifts around careers, relationships, and emotional wellness. She lives in Seattle with her husband and has three teenagers and has been in recovery since 2014. And let's just jump in and get started. Libby, welcome. Isla, I'm so happy to be back here, Casey. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I wanted to do this core values work because it's something that I do with all of my private coaching clients when they reach the 60-day sober mark, when they're out of the drinking cycle. And I know from talking to my friends who've coached with you and you directly that this work is something that you do first with all of your private clients. That's right. It's in the first time I meet with people in an official capacity, it's a session called discovery. And we really, um, we craft how we want to work together. We set some intended results or goals, and then we do a deep dive on values because to me, and I know we'll get into this, but values can be the compass to living a big, brave, beautiful life. And I think once we're clear on our values, so many things are more, are more possible for us because we have something to look to and say, does this decision, whether that's stopping drinking, changing jobs, leaving a relationship, moving across the country, does this bring me closer to my values or further away? And I think once we have that, we're empowered to make that change in a different way. Yeah. I mean, I see it as just your compass and aligning it to what's really important to you and what you want to do with your life. And I did core values work for the first time when I was in my coach training program. So that was four or five years ago now. And what was really special about this episode was you took me through your process in sort of redoing my core values. And we did that work together, which was really special. I know we both think it's incredibly important and we do the work a little bit in a different process and a different way to get to the same outcome. So to jump right in, you said you've done this work with women who are stopping drinking or on the alcohol-free journey or in early sobriety. Do you want to talk about why this work supports them on that journey and why core values may get out of whack when you're drinking? Yeah, absolutely. So because I am not a sober coach, you know, like you are, I I get people usually in one of two places. I either get people when they come to me for something else, you know, they're experiencing burnout, they are considering a big change. They're sort of asking this question at this phase of life, who am I now? And often what comes out several sessions in is, oh, by the way, I'm drinking a bottle of wine a night. Do you think that could be having anything to do with me getting traction in these other areas of my life? <laughs> so, so sometimes they don't they don't always lead, you know, with yeah. that. So the lead is buried a little bit. The other time I get people is when they have a little sober time. So if they have 90 days, you know, of recovery, you know, for me, just based on the model of coaching that I practice, I generally like to get people when they're a little bit further along in their journey. So 
then they might be asking, okay, who am I now? You know, I let go of this thing. Maybe I'm not part of mommy wine culture anymore, you know, or I don't know who I am. Who are my friends? Who are my people? What's my social life going to look like? And so using it um, as a tool then to get clear on the values. And I guess to circle back and answer your question, what's so important about it is that, first of all, our true values can emerge when alcohol isn't in the picture. And sometimes it can come, if we're clear on what our values are, then it becomes so glaringly obvious, often painfully so, that our behavior and our patterns are either smashing our values day after day or completely bypassing our values. And one thing I know you and I talked about is any time that we feel like our lives are stuck, frustrated, you know, we're unhappy, it's usually a huge red flag that something is going on with our values. We're not living a life that is a reflective of our values. They're being violated or they're you're you're being asked to do something that's not in alignment with your values, whether it's taking an action, behaving in a certain way, or even just not having the time to honor them. And that's when you feel resentment, irritation, frustration. And right. most of the time, we don't know why. The other thing I think is when we're drinking, I mean, I know I did this, you drink to tolerate things, you drink so you don't have to think about things that bother you or to shut them off. And often that's a misalignment of your core values. And I totally agree with you. Like, a lot of times when you stop drinking, and women have said this to me, but I think I even said this to my coach, I don't even know who I am. If I'm not the social butterfly who arranges all the wine tasting trips, who drinks as a main activity or habit in my life, I was like, I don't know who I am. And I hear that a lot as well. And then the other thing I hear is, oh shit, I stopped drinking. And like now all this other stuff is way too apparent to me that I'm not, you know, like for me, it was work. I was like, I stopped drinking and I'm clear and a lot of life is better except for it's incredibly obvious to me that I do not give a shit about being a corporate marketer. My job, my industry is just not fulfilling and it's taking me away from what I care about. And by the way, that's really, really scary, you know? Yeah. 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 I Oh, I love that you're saying that because I think what it points to is that, yeah, oftentimes drinking is this coping mechanism to tolerate, to continue, to behave or choose the things or live in the things that really aren't working for us anymore. And that's a thing that sabotages a lot of folks, I think, staying sober is, you know, they clear away sort of the coping tool, you know, and it's like taking a little kid's pacifier away, cold turkey without them having anything to replace it with. And but worse, because now you're like, wow, I'm not sure if I can do this thing. And I've had friends and clients in recovery who've said, you know, I'm not sure I can live in this job, in this marriage, in this way of doing life without alcohol, you know, as a way to cope. It sort of forces you then to feel like maybe I need to do something about it. And that's pretty terrifying. 
And some of that too, I mean, I know I stayed in my job, I believe for two years after I quit drinking and doing the core values work, going to coaching school, having my own coach did help me find more personal satisfaction and draw healthy boundaries while Mm -hmm. I was still in my work. And I've seen women do that with relationships with their parents, with their spouse, with work, even with their kids. So Mm -hmm. it is possible to do this core values work and for that to shift your perspective and your behavior enough. So maybe like for me work, you know, wasn't what I did every day wasn't at my deepest level, what I cared about, but it did enable me to do other things that I cared about that were my core values. And for a long time, that was enough while I was healing, while I was getting stronger. And it stopped me from feeling so much anxiety and resentment around it. So you don't, you know, basically, I think what I'm saying is, Quitting drinking and getting sober and doing core values work does not mean you have to quit your job and make more no money and cut off your relationship with your mother and get divorced. It does not. But doing this work will support you. Absolutely. And in fact, in in 12-step work, one of sort of the unofficial rules is that you make no major life changes in the first year. So if you're single, you don't get married three months later. You know, if you, you know, if that person wasn't in your life before, you don't ditch a job, you don't, you know, make any massive changes in relationships, knowing that life needs a way to settle out, you know, in the new way of being. And I think values absolutely support that. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course.
And you change and transform and learn so much in your first year sober Mm -hmm. and you don't want to increase stress on your life. And so what are the biggest stressors, right? Financial issues, relationships, like getting a divorce, moving, changing jobs, like all those things are huge stressors, which are triggers. So you don't want to add that to your life, but also a year later, you're going to be so much more clear and optimistic and confident and content. And so you Mm -hmm. want to make big moves from a place of power, not fear or being shaky or whatever it is. Totally. Completely. Yeah. I'm curious, Casey, um, when it comes to your values, and I don't know if it's okay to segue into talking about values, you know, what have you noticed about how going alcohol-free helps you to better support your values? Well, I really think that when I was drinking, one, I was really just trying to get through the day. I mean, once I had gotten into drinking at such a level where um, I was drinking a bottle a night, I was sort of hungover and shaky and beating myself up every morning. I really didn't want anyone to know how much I was drinking, how worried I was about it, or, um, you know, my husband, my colleagues, the people at the bus stop, like how important it was to me to get that third glass of wine at a restaurant. And I spent so much mental and physical energy deciding to stop drinking, trying to get some sober time, saying, screw it, drinking again, repeat. So I was really operating from a place of basically like trying to move really fast so no one could get a bead on me, um, Mm -hmm. hiding how I was feeling because I didn't want to say anything to my spouse or my boss and mostly my spouse and have him come back at me and be like, well, you're basically checked out and drunk every night. Like I felt like I didn't have a leg to stand on in Mm -hmm. asking for more. And a lot of my values, because I'd never done sort of personal work and coaching and therapy were the value, the values I thought I had. And we talked about this were values I'd inherited from society, but mostly from my parents and work and what I got a pat on the head for. So if you had asked me when I was drinking, what are your, tell me about you, tell me your values, tell me what you care about. I would have said, I am competent and responsible and will never let you down. And I might've said act in integrity because that was something I really thought I should do. Turns out it is a core value. But it was something more related to people pleasing and being responsible and achievement. Mm. Turns out three of the four of those are not my core values. That's what my parents told me I should care about, which is probably why I was in corporate. I mean, I actually have a story about my dad very specifically telling me, shaming me, directing me not to go into what I actually wanted to do, which was sociology, which is kind of very similar to (laughs) work I do now. And basically, I wanted to major in it. And he basically told me, I've never met no offense to sociology majors out there. If I could have done it, I would. He said, I've never met anyone who ever amounted to anything who majored in sociology. And then he said, 
at least I don't have to tell my friends you're a women's studies major. And oh. I mean, if you <laughs> consider that I am now a life and sobriety coach who works with women and does a podcast all about society and alcohol and women's role in the world and our culture and the, I mean, literally I did yeah. what he didn't want me to do. And he's, he died 17 years ago. I adore him. He was working sure. out of the place where his core values were. Of course. I was yeah. such a daddy's girl. I so wanted to get his approval. I think I worked in the corporate world for 20 years because of that conversation. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a thank you for sharing that. And theater major over here who would have minored in women's studies, except <laughs> my parents had a similar perspective on on that, um, you know, and and it just it just actually almost brought a tear to my eye as you were saying that, because, of course, you know, our parents are doing the best they can, you know, with what they have. And that is something that served your dad really well. I know enough about your dad to know he had an amazing purpose-driven career, you know, and, and an amazing life. And gosh, we just, yeah, we just want to, we want to hit the mark, right? Yeah. And I think for so many- And I'm many sure of- he cared about me being yes. able to financially support myself and being able to get a job and- you know, not have to depend on a man, you know, for yes. like all kinds of different things, right? Having um, options, whatever it is. But, and yeah. I'm sure he didn't realize that that very offhand comment, although it was fairly pointed and he apparently felt very <laughs> That's so offhand. Yeah. Like yeah. impacted me for mm-hmm. every choice I made for 20 years, despite the fact that like, my physical body through anxiety and drinking was like rebelling against the daily move I made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many of us who wind up on this path and certainly the women I coach, you know, who, as you said, in my, my intro, you know, are, are by and large, very bright, high achieving women. They have some perfectionism in their backpack. They have some people pleasing, you know, and I think not uncoincidentally, you know, we all, Many of us, um, certainly not we all, but a lot of us end up in this place because we're trying so hard to please and fit and hit the mark and not disappoint, you know, and make expectations. And it's like if you just keep adding rocks to that backpack of what you're carrying, you know, it makes complete sense that you would be looking for a way to cope and to like numb and soften that a little bit and hence opening the bottle of wine. So it's so... It's all connected, right? Yeah. yeah. And I know just so people know your background. I mean, I met you when you were already sober. Um, you were already a coach. That was way back in my mind, something that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And you just have this incredible energy around you, which I love. But our drinking was also very similar. You were just further along and getting away from it. When we yeah. met, I just... Literally, I met you on the day I hit one year alcohol free. So will you just give us sort of a little bit of background on what your drinking looked like and why you stopped? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was super functional, you know, for most of my drinking life. And 
you know, I got a late start in drinking. I was a good girl in high school. You know, I was a great student. I went to a wonderful university. I didn't, um, I developed an eating disorder there, which is often sort of a sister, you know, issue that can come up for many of us. Um, and, and didn't really start using drinking to, there definitely were some red flags and some warning signs of some poor decisions and some risky behavior and that sort of thing related to alcohol. But it really was when I got into the working world and, you know, and and really started opening um, a bottle of wine with my husband, you know, first boyfriend, then husband, you know, at the end of the day, and just having a glass of wine, it was like a great way to cap the day. I had seen my parents enjoy alcohol that way. It seemed very connected and sort of like their time. Um, and, and then I had, um, I went through some infertility and then I had three babies in two years. So I had my oldest and then, um, two years later, my twins were born Mm -hmm. and I was a full-time mom at home. I had worked in mental health earlier in my career. I know I'm jumping around a little, but I had, I had a husband who worked a lot and then was in grad school ultimately. Um, and I was at home with three little kids. Uh, he traveled a lot. And I really didn't have any skills at saying no, at setting boundaries. I was not good at asking for help. And I was totally drowning <laughs> in the responsibilities of my life. And instead of looking for help or crying uncle. And, and I want to give myself some compassion because it's very difficult to do that. And we have a lot of cultural messaging around what motherhood looks like and good motherhood. And I mean, my kids are late teens early, you know, my oldest is 20 now. And so it's, I think it's even worse for moms of today because they have even this, that much more pressure about shoulds and shouldn't than maybe we did even when my kids were small. But I didn't have any coping tools. And so when I would put the kids to bed at night, then I would um, open the wine, you know, and that that became I I like it. I liken it always to like if you're looking for a taxi and a taxi that has its light on is taking passengers and a taxi that has its light off is closed for the night, you know, or they're they're full. And it was like a taxi turning off its light. My drinking wine was like, I'm off. I'm off duty and I could be off duty, you know, um, until the next morning. And, and in short, that just became very slowly and insidiously. It just became sort of a harmless and I'm putting air quotes. You can't see it. (laughs) You can't see it if you're just listening on the podcast, but, um, that it went from sort of a, a harmless, um, habit into something that I really depended on to, to relax, to sleep, to check out, to manage my anxiety, to cope with the stresses and pressures of life. And my dad, who I was very close to, um, ended up having a stroke and we almost lost him. And it's sort of like the wheels came off the bus at that point. I stopped trying to moderate. I um, was very sad and I just um, start really starting use, using wine in a major way as medication. And um Nothing um, groundbreaking happened. I'm so fortunate that I didn't land up with, um, you know, a DUI or losing my kids or many of the the consequences that so many people and people I love and some of my dearest friends in the world have been through. But it just got to where, to bring it back to values, I was living in a way that was so far 
from my values. And my most, my t- one of my core values is integrity, is connection. And I was just, is growth and learning, you know, and I was just so far from that. And to live so far apart from my values became so unbearably painful that finally, you know, a day came where I, um, I just thought I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was sort of the beginning of the end of my drinking career. Yeah. So. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was just looking after we did our, our personal core values work and we actually have very, very similar core values. Uh, yeah. Yours, I'll just say it and then we can go into it. Yours were... Sure integrity, connection, including spiritual connection, growth, and curiosity. Mine were um, integrity, connection, optimism, and pleasure. But Mm -hmm. I could see growth and curiosity right in there as part of connection and pleasure in mine. And you had talked a little bit about um, joy diet and restriction and otherwise pleasure might have been one of your top values. So we can go into that. The one thing I want to say is there are no bad core values. Like every single person is different and other people have core values where I'm like, yikes, I feel like I should have service as a core value. And it's just not one of my, like, I feel like in connection and integrity, I do like I am of service, but it's just not something that drives me. And that's okay for other people. If they have ambition and power as a core value, like good on you. That is incredible. For me, power gives me anxiety for some, you know what I mean? Or it takes me away from pleasure. Ambition takes me away from pleasure and what that means to me. So all that is to say is if your core value is not integrity, that's awesome. It does not need to be. And my core value does not need to be service. 
Absolutely. And I work with people um, in the corporate space a lot. And I also do this work with couples. And it's so interesting. So if I have an individual client, I often will give them the opportunity to have their spouse come in and do values work with me separately. And then they can sort of see where do they match up on their values and where are they further away. But I just had a, a really great guy I was doing values work with the other day. And he loves, first of all, he's in um He's he in finance and he also loves sports. So he was, you know, this is what he did his whole growing up. He seeks out sports opportunities for competition and sport. And and we'll talk about our values process, I'm sure, in a few minutes. But essentially, the words that I was hearing coming through for him were competition, you know, and and I thought that's interesting. I'm not sure if I've ever had somebody like, is that a core value of his? And ultimately, only the person whose values they are can decide what are what yeah. their values. Are. And he came back to me and he said, um, after doing the work on his own, and he said, you know, um, I realized like competition is really key for me, but I think the value that it hits on is achievement. Like yeah. I really like to achieve. I really like to have, a, I like to win. I like to have a goal and hit the mark. And so that's, you know, that's beautiful because that's so reflective of who he is. And it's really important that he has work and hobbies and places in his life where he can live out that value. For somebody else, it might be security, you know, and safety. And oftentimes our values are born out of our life experiences and our families of origin, you know, and sometimes it's personality and the way we're we're wired and DNA and inherited, you know, there's all kinds of ways. But I love that you made that point because there's no right values. The yeah. only values that are right for you are the values that feel true. Yeah. And I yeah. think that, and we talked about this, how your core values can change over time. I think that when I was younger, whether I was in boarding school or college or on my own in my 20s, when my parents were very, very far away, you know, physical distance, emotional distance, whatever it was, safety, security was a huge value of mine. And it, you know, I think of it kind of as like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, it's awesome that my value now gets to be pleasure. That would not have been the case when I had no money and was figuring out what job I needed to take and had my support was MIA. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And it's curious and I love that we talked a lot when we met about pleasure as one of your values. And, you know, I'm just curious how that intersects with being alcohol free for you. Like yeah. what did pleasure maybe look like then? And what does pleasure look like now? Yeah, I will answer that question. And then I want to <laughs> circle back to the couple's work because I did yeah. not know that. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, yeah, sure. Pleasure for me, I think that when I was drinking, and I think my coach even asked me about this in the beginning, like, what do you like more than red wine? I think this was my first week. And I almost could not answer that question. I was like, I like a lot of things in addition to red wine, because I drank every night. So like, I like concerts in wine, I like girlfriends in wine, I like Weekends away, wine, Great TV, TV and wine, right? What? Yeah. I like TV Great and TV. wine. No, I, mean, yeah. um, I think my answer was basically like, I like doing burpees early in the morning without wine more than wine, you know, like, and my list was like, okay, take that off the table. 
I like good books. I like coffee shops. I like vacation, you know, whatever it was. But I feel like when I was drinking, my universe of pleasure and reward had shrunk so much mm-hmm. around alcohol that I got lazy in actually exploring pleasure outside of it. I also think that because of looking back hindsight being 2020, the way that alcohol spikes your dopamine and then it adjusts lower, your baseline is lower, that I didn't actually feel pleasure as much as I naturally would have without alcohol. And in the beginning, when we were doing core values work, I had all these things on my list and it, I had trouble boiling it down to that word, right? Cause I was like, is it happiness? Is it whatever the equivalent is of travel or adventure or experiences? Is it beauty? You know, cause I love just seeing and experiencing beauty, whether it's in nature or like in my physical your house, space, your beautiful whatever. home. Yeah. 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 Like just your garden all those things. And I was like, Oh, you know, is it happiness? And I was like, I think it's just pleasure, which so that's, you know, that's, I think, how it changed. When I was drinking, once I stopped drinking, I had to find new sources of pleasure. And ones that didn't include like, basically getting drunk. And that was a really cool experience, but one that took time. And I think I got to experience things in a new way. Also, we talked about joy diets and restriction. And I think when I was drinking, I felt guilty about it. And I felt like I was overcompensating. So I almost would not allow myself other pleasures like taking a nap when I was tired or going on vacation without my kids or not doing things for my kids because I was you know, I was in that place of like, I do everything for everyone. Yeah. Both because I want to prove there's nothing to see here about my drinking, but also it allowed me to be a little bit of a martyr. Therefore, I had a reason to drink. You know what I you mean? Got it. Oh, I relate to that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that really stuck out to me re- that you were talking about pleasure and that you sort of lost access to real pleasure, you know, when you were drinking and that really mirrors one of the things Brene talks about, Brene Brown talks about in her work. And she talks about numbing as a as sort of a universal tool. Like we all use numbing in, in little ways, right? Or we all, you know, and compulsive numbing, she says, is addiction, you know, but 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 non like we all numb, maybe we eat too much or maybe we shop too much, or we all we watch too much TV, we scroll too much on social media. You know, we all have things we reach for, and we don't need to put some big morality judgment around it. Like to numb is human, you know, to an extent, but she also talks about how we can't selectively numb. Mm -hmm. So if we numb boredom, anxiety, pain, um, overwork, you know, lack of rest, we also are numbing pleasure, joy, like the full experience of life. If you think of it, it's sort of like a tunnel that has like a bunch of buildup, you know, or a drain, a pipe that has a bunch of buildup. It's not just one part that sort of gets 
gunked up. The yeah. whole thing gets gunked up so that what can go through it is so much less. And that's what I think, you know, made me think of when you were talking about how your life just got so much smaller because we we cap the low, but we also cap the high. Yeah. And so we're just operating in a really small window of life experience. Yeah. 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 You know, what's interesting. Okay. When you were talking about your coaching clients and you offer, or as part of it, they can decide to have their spouse do a session with you on core values. I was just like, oh my God, I want to have Mike do that. You um, got it. Yeah. Well, I will pay you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, hey, you're well, I would love to do it. I but would love to do it. Yeah. Now I just have to get him on board because yeah. I think that a lot of when you were talking about the person with achievement and how important that was for them. And that's why competition in sports, I feel like in a marriage, understanding why something is important to someone else allows you to have, have them have that happiness with more ease and grace as yes. opposed to being like, why the fuck are you doing this? Because it's not important to you. You know what I mean? Right. And sometimes we think, you know, we can make judgments about our spouses because we've seen, yeah. you know, that they load the dishwasher the wrong way or they, you know, never go for the promotion at work or they they spend a lot of money or they save too much money. Like we all have our our ideas about our spouses and things that we love about them and things that drive us crazy about them. And yes, I think it's so helpful to have a sense of what the values are because of what you're saying, you know, that 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 then we can approach it with more grace and respect around why they're doing what they're doing. And I think when it comes to making big decisions as a couple, you know, do we want to have another baby? You know, do we yeah. want to buy a, a lake house? Do we want to take a, a hiatus from our jobs and travel for the next three months? You know, whatever things, you know, how, where do we want to invest our money can be so helpful to see where are we alike where do we dive, you know, divert, yeah. diverge from each other? And where, how can we meet each other so that both of us feel like our values are getting honored? Yeah. And, and how can we support each other in that way? And I just think it's very enlightening and offers each a real appreciation, you know, for our purposes. So when it's I really think there's some, you know, I clearly have done work with a coach. I've gone to coaching school. I've gone to therapy. So I am very comfortable making choices, including leading, leaving my corporate job in, and prioritizing connection and travel and pleasure and all that stuff, because I now know it's in alignment with my core values. But I do wonder if you haven't done this work, and my husband hasn't, if he is making choices that he experiences irritation or resentment or anxiety based on it, that are his father's values or what he believes a man or a parent or a husband has to have as these core values. Do you know what I mean? Completely. And and honestly, that's the main reason I do my values work the way that I do. And I'd love to hear about what your your process is like. For my process, you know, I've done this work as the values definer, the 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 recipient, the client, you know, multiple times, both in my own coach training and in other venues and settings. Um, 
And a lot of very typical values work involves taking a look at a list and kind of circling the values that stand out for you. And I think for somebody who's done a lot of work, um, that is a totally cool way to do values, you know, because you might have a little bit more discernment as far as what belongs to me and what belongs to somebody else. Yeah. I think for, for people for whom this work is very new, it is a little muddy and clear. And sometimes we're not sure, is this really my value or is this a value that I inherited, you know, from somewhere else? And so the process that I use when I do values with people is we just pretend that we're curled up on a couch with a delicious, in my case, non-alcoholic beverage, um, having, you know, a juicy conversation um, or in a coffee shop somewhere. And as you know, because we did it together, I just ask a lot of open-ended questions. And then as the coach, I'm just listening for, um, so I'm not asking people to serve up their values. The values emerge in how they would spend their perfect day or who they most admire and what they admire about them or the thing they love most about each of their kids, you know, or the questions are fairly spontaneous based on who I'm talking to and, and kind of piggybacking off previous questions. And so then I, I send them a list of all the values I heard. And while they're certainly not limited to those, because we can't in the course of 50 minutes, we can't talk about, every possible topic. So for example, we might never hit on anything religion to, related to faith or spirituality. Probably if that's really core for the person, probably that's shown up somewhere for them in another way of answering the question, um, but not always. So they have the opportunity to add on and then of course, delete anything that doesn't work for them. But um, but it it helps to take off a little of that, like, now I'm going to define my values. You know, it feels a little more uh, stealth, maybe, yeah. at getting it that way. Definitely. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy. But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Well, I remember when I did the work with you, which I think is really cool before we had this conversation and was a bonus for me. I'm actually getting my hair cut and colored later today, right after our call. And you know how you're always jealous of your hairdresser because she talks about, oh, I got extensions, a friend of mine did it, or I got my hair updated or whatever it is. And I'm like, you get that for free. You just trade off. So I'm like, 
as a coach, friends with other coaches, we get to trade off on friends with benefits in a different way. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, like some guy I was interviewing on the Enneagram, he did my Enneagram assessment. Like, I'm like, this is cool. Um, but you taught, you said get really, really cozy. So I know you really well. So literally I was laid on my carpet in my office. Yeah. On my back. And at some point you were like, I can't really hear you. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I'm too cozy. <laughs> you told me to get cozy. Um, so anyway, uh, so, so you yeah. asked me about peak experiences, like remembering my most happy memory of a time or a place. You asked me what really bugs me about things or people, um, yeah. what people say about you what you most love about each of your kids, who do you really admire and why, and a whole bunch of other things. But I thought, you know, my process is different. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. And it was, it was great to just be able to talk and to have you pull out the pieces that Mm. you heard from me without me having to you know, go through this exercise of, you know, you kind of get used to, here's how I self-evaluate, you know? Right, right. And, and a really important piece of it is that I reflect what I'm listening. And then you in this case, or the client ultimately does have to go through that, that same process. Right. And so it still could pop up that you're like, wow, you know, you could have a self-judgment based on, your history of let's take pleasure, for example, like, ooh, is pleasure an okay value to have? Perhaps a more reputable value would be, you know, I don't know, strength or wisdom or something like that, right? So so you still, it's not, it's not foolproof, right? We we still have those messages and tapes that can pop up for us, you know, and it's it just maybe gets you there a little more quickly, maybe, you know. Yeah. And there's no right way. Yeah, And I love that you said, too, that you're both listening for the values I mention and also the ones I don't mention. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, so when somebody is so first of all, when I ask the question and this is when I ask absolutely everybody is what drives you nuts? You know what? What can you not stand in other people, in situations, in the world right now? And so I think that is a great place because people are pointing out something that drives them crazy, but what they're not saying is the flip side of that value because that's the value that's getting stepped on. So if like narcissistic narcissistic people drive you crazy, you know, then what's the value kind of on the other side of that, you know? Um is it selflessness? Mm, maybe not. Is it, you know, I don't know, altruism? I don't know, you know. So so yeah. that. But then but then I think just in the way, and I think as coaches, this is just something we we do every day in our in our work. Is I'm quite certain when you're talking to your clients, they might be talking about something they're struggling with, and there's like a big hole, you know, in what's not being said. And sometimes that will pop up. So maybe somebody will be saying, "Oh my, you know, I I really value 
time with my family and, and all of this. And they'll be saying all this. And you know that this is somebody who works 80 hours a week. So yeah. what's missing here? So just a place of sort of like, I don't know, I think of Hansel and Gretel, like follow the breadcrumbs, both in what they're saying out loud. And then maybe where there's a little bit of a disconnect happening and getting curious and maybe poking a little bit there. Yeah. too. I think yeah. that's really interesting. And the idea of working X number of hours a week or whatever it is, was sort of one of the indications or I felt once I knew what my core values were, it really helped me make decisions that included, you know, basically not being considered for promotions where I was working. So I was at L'Oreal and um, my boss you know, essentially was working a ton, traveling a ton. She was single. She really wanted to be a general manager. She was always managing up, um, didn't have kids, et cetera. And therefore, in order to get her to give me the pat on the head and the respect and the approval I wanted, she wanted me to work the way she did. And it's very, as a people pleaser and a perfectionist, right? I It's very hard for me to feel like I'm not measuring up to someone Uh or letting them down or disappointing them. And, you know, someone said to me once is like, don't take directions from people who aren't going where you're headed. Like if you Mm -hmm. don't want their life, their values, the way they spend their time, their relationships, if you don't want that by definition, they have to disapprove of some of the choices that you're making And so when I looked at my values, I wanted, you know, at the end of the day, and we'll talk about this more in your values, but one of the things that was important to me was just, I wanted to have a strong marriage where we really liked each other. And I wanted to have my, be really close to my kids and have them come home from college or visit when they were in their early jobs and like sit at the kitchen table and like, tell me everything about their lives. You know, Mm -hmm. that was really important to me. And at my job, you know, in order to even move up, my GM was like, well, is even 25% of the time, is even that too much travel for you? And I was just like, that's a week of every month. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's too much. I was like, and in my mind, I'm like, my marriage does not work. Not because we're pretty equal. Like, if I'm just gone a week of every month and like, don't spend that time with my kids, I want to be the mom at the baseball practice and I want to be the mom at the bus and I want to work. But, you know, I said at the end of the day, do I want people to say at my funeral, whatever it is at the end of my life, God, she was a really good VP at X company. You know what I mean? Or do I want them to say, she had all these experiences and relationships and connections and conversations. Like that's what I wanted not to be in some random hotel, which by the way, would not have been great for my sobriety either to be alone every (laughs) week in a hotel in New York, going to business dinners with people I didn't know. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. And I love that you're saying that. And the important thing about values is that there might be some people listening for whom like being a huge contributor to the business where yeah. they were or being an amazing leader 
of a hundred people is a huge reflection of their values, right? And what's important is that- Or taking that step so they have that financial security so that XYZ- Or modeling like women in leadership, you know, to their, their children or their nieces and nephews or the broader world or to the women coming up after them. And I work, I coach a lot of women in the corporate space who are moms and, you know, and for some of them, you know, I've had women say to me, um, my mom was always um, dependent on my dad and she could yeah. not leave a really difficult marriage because she had no choices. And so I'm never going to be that yeah. person. Right. Yeah. And so I think what it just all keeps coming back to what's so important is that the clearer you are on your values, then you can take the trips 25 percent of the time or 50% of the time, if that reflects your values and give yourself some grace on saying, you know what, I'm not going to be the mom at the bus stop or at the game, but I'm going to show my kids what's possible if they dream big, you know, as an example. So it helps us to let go of some of the the shame and the should that culture wants to just pile onto us, no matter what we choose. Yeah. I I totally agree with that completely. And I think that like for a lot of people, it's some balance of that. Like I never was a stay-at-home mom. I never, you know, I want to have great relationships with my kids. I also found them humbling and draining when they were little. And I yeah. wanted financial independence. I had yeah. a healthy fear that, anything could happen. You know, my husband could die, he could divorce me, any, you know, whatever I wanted to be able to support myself and my kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I hear that. And I, you know, I think it's so beautiful that you, you gave yourself, you, you know, it was the right choice for you on many fronts one way and no doubt helped you have some of the skills and tools you've you've been able to use to launch this beautiful business and podcast and everything that you have now, right? Like, you know, that, that, and you gave yourself permission to pivot to reflect your values. in Yeah. And to shift, right. Even if I wasn't going to leave my job saying, I don't want to be on the road 25 or 50% of the time. That wasn't me saying, I'm going to stay at home with my kids and spend 24 seven with them. And if, by (laughs) the way, if you do that, that's incredible too. Like, yeah, I and I did when my kids were really small for a yeah. few years. For me, it was our kids, as I mentioned, were were in vitro babies. They were really hard to come by. And um, and my husband kept getting transferred. And for me to keep having to sort of find new jobs in each place, you know, this is before everybody could work remotely from it. Not everybody, but a lot mm-hmm. of people can work remotely like they do now. And and for us and our family, like that was the absolutely the right choice at the time. And so yeah. yeah, that reflected my values, you know, of where I was yeah. at that yeah. in time. So, so yeah. your structure of going through it is you work with someone and pull out their values by asking them, you know, what drives you crazy? What are your peak experiences? What do you love most about X person in your yeah. life? If you don't have kids, it's someone else they love. Who do you admire and why? What other questions? Because if someone wants to do this on their own, we'll put a lot of these questions and process in the show notes. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure there's some really great tools that might have some of these questions online. I'll be honest, some of the questions I ask everybody, like you've said, um, another great one is, let's say someone's giving a speech about you, you know, and when you're 80, you know, what or, or, you know, at your funeral or when you're retiring, what do you want them to say about you? You know, that's one. Another question I love is if time and resources were not a concern, what would you do? You know, um, you know, and, and some, so some of it are questions that I can use on everybody. And then some are ones that are more spontaneous that come out of a conversation. So let's say somebody says, oh, my volunteer position at the soup kitchen, you know, then it's what's important about that. Is it service? Is it connection? You know, is it, you know, and one thing I guess I want to say to piggyback on that is sometimes we, we kind of throw around these value words that we hear in the media. Like a lot of people would say, oh, family is one of my number one values. And I think that's true for a lot of us. However, I think family has a different meaning. So that's part of the process too, of what does this word mean for me? Once I'm clear on what it is, is it shared experience and shared history? And is it legacy? Is it unconditional love? Is it like cheers, a place you go where everybody knows your name? Yeah. You know, um, is it mutual care and, and understanding and respect? So I think there are lots of ways to sometimes approach some of the same yeah. values. Um, yeah. The yeah. other thing that I do that I think is really interesting, I'm curious if you do it too, is say, you probably do it through your process. I do mine a little differently and we can talk about that. But if someone sort of centers on a value, we go through that and be like, okay, why, why, why? That's such a coaching thing, right? To like pull it apart and tell me more about that and whatever. What I'm doing with that is to try to figure out or talk about whether it is a fear-based value, meaning this is a value for me because I, whether it's security or something else, because I want to guard against X or Y, which Mm. is true, but I feel like fear-based values spur resentment and dissatisfaction are hard to orient your choices around in a really positive way. And so not that 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 value isn't valid, but I want to shift it to something positive versus something, you know, like take the, the sentiment, the reason why you care about this deeply and figure out sort of what the, what the flip side of that is so that you can orient your life towards that in a positive way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, And I think it helps people get a little bit more clear. I'm trying to think of what would an example, like what might an example of that be? So so let's take financial security, like we talked about. That could be a fear-based value, especially for somebody who did not grow up having much or maybe had to to scramble. And, And from a positive, what might that look like? Yeah. Maybe that's not the best example, but... um, Yeah, it's an interesting question. Well, the other thing that Danielle Laporte does that I think is interesting is she talks about desire-based goals, right, as opposed to achievement-based goals. And I just like this idea of you're like, okay, my goal, you know, you set out goals in the beginning of the year is to get promoted to X thing or to travel to Y or to get married or whatever. And pulling apart like, 
why. How do you think you're going to feel when that happens? Why is that going to make you happy? And it's like, okay, well, then I'll feel truly loved or I will feel financially secure or I will be able to do X, Y, Z. And her question is, okay, you want to feel that way. What can you do today to experience that feeling or to prioritize that feeling versus, you know, what she talks about is we keep going um, towards these achievement-based goals. I'm going to lose 30 pounds and you can get there, get the promotion, get married, lose the weight, whatever it is. And of course, like very anti-diet culture, but just as a goal that a lot of people have, Sure, and you still may not feel that. Do you know yes. what I mean? You think it's going to give Often. you something it doesn't right. give you. Right, right. I love I love that about her work. And I, I used to use that a ton um, in my work is, is sort of this idea of how do you want to feel and yeah. getting clear on that. And yes, what can you do today? to experience that feeling. If if you can't leave your job right now and a lot of people can't, you know, but what you're craving is freedom, how can you create a little freedom, you yeah. know, in your day? Where can you open up some space? Does that mean you're getting up half an hour earlier so you have that time just to yourself when no kids or or bosses or anybody are pulling at you? You know, how can you how can you sort of taste test, you know, some of those feelings or work them in you know, knowing that for many of us, like the realities of life, you know, demands that we work for pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So one of the things, once you've got your values, and this is something you can continue to dig into, then, you know, in my mind, the work is to say, okay, how often or how well do you honor your values with time, money, or energy? Which yes. values are being neglected? Mm-hmm. Are there any values that you feel you're actually having violated on mm-hmm. a, a decent basis? And yes. how can you spend more time, more energy, my pri- more priority on your values? So like for me, working enabled me to go on trips and have adventures and have these pleasurable experiences and spend time with my kids without worrying about financial security or, you know, all yeah. these things. Yes. Um, so I wanted to keep, you know, once I framed it that way, I was like, okay, this work that I'm doing is enabling me to do X, Y, Z. Yes. But if I were to travel 50 or 25% of the time, that would actually violate one of my values. So is there a balance in there? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It reminds me of Simon Sinek's work about the power of why, you know, and knowing your why. And if we're clear on what our values are, um, like being able to have adventures, you know, and, and travel, let for example, you know, in that example, then maybe the job doesn't offer that, right? Maybe that doesn't feel like there's a lot of joy in the job. But if our why of why we're doing it and why we're showing up every day helps to honor a value, then that's a pretty powerful why. Just like 
And if somebody has a value of, let's say, authenticity mm. and they're hiding their drinking or or trust, you know, and they're hiding their drinking from everybody, um, you know, they might not want to give up drinking or or scale back drinking or whatever they're considering. And maybe that becomes just 1% easier to address that issue if they feel like it's helping them really live in the values that are most central, you know, to who they are. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point. And in bringing this back to doing core values work, identifying your values and allowing that work to align with an alcohol-free life, if that's your goal or, um, align with helping you continue on the sobriety path. How would you look at that? You know, in that context specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I can use myself for, for example. Yeah. So, you know, integrity was one of my number one values was integrity and connection are my top two. And I might've thought that connection was getting honored through my drinking. You know, I had friends that I used to have whiny play dates, we call them W-I-N-E-Y. Um (laughs) girls' nights, book club. Um, my husband and I loved drinking wine together. We would go to Napa, Sonoma, we went to Italy on our honeymoon and drank wonderful wine. You know, we had some really connective experiences over wine, but there became a part a time somewhere, not sure where the scale tipped where connection became um less important less valued it it and um, the wine was getting in the way you know of the connection maybe i would before i go to a party i'd have a glass of wine or two at home because i didn't want to drink too much at the party and then maybe i'd leave early and come home and have some more wine at the end of the night you know and and i guess where i'm going with that is that um not only did that feel like I was hiding, which stepped on that integrity value, but connection was being truncated, not because I couldn't necessarily have real conversations with people, but because I always had this feeling in the back of my mind that if these friends, even if my husband really knew, really knew that's me how too. much I was drinking, how much I was thinking about drinking and thinking about not drinking is still thinking about drinking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, trying not to drink, still thinking about drinking. Um, if they really knew me, it's that that feeling. If they really knew me, would they love me the same? Would they care about me the same? And um, and so I just really cut myself off from that deep level knowing and that deep level connection and integrity as well. So, you know, for me, I think I didn't even know how far I'd gotten from that. Um, because it was such a slow build, you know, but one of the things that really, once I decided something had to change, um, that was one of my big whys that and the connection with my kids and the integrity with my kids, my kids were not teenagers yet. They were still single digits, but I was going to be getting to a place where, um, I was going to need to be talking to them about alcohol and I was a total hypocrite. Yeah, you know, and so um, it felt really important to be able to be in integrity around that, and so that kept me staying the course, even when I had days where I really, really 
wanted was questioning the decision. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I completely relate to that. And also if someone's listening to this, I want to also frame it as we spend a ton of time romanticizing drinking or, you know, we all have highlights and lowlights drinking. We, we prefer to ignore all the lowlights and celebrate the highlights that trip to Italy, that wine tasting weekend on your anniversary, the bonding with girls over happy hour, et cetera. In, insert yours where I, you're like, I can't imagine missing out on X. Um, we need to spend a lot more time romanticizing sobriety. So we see the benefits. So we actually don't just be like, yeah, I guess I'm sleeping better and I'm not hungover, but that's not as cool as whatever this romantic highlight of drinking is. Right. Um, values and aligning not drinking with your core values is a really powerful way to romanticize sobriety versus mm. I love know, that concept. Yeah. 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 So in my mind, for example, same thing, right? Connection, pleasure, integrity, optimism are mm-hmm. a lot of my core values, right? Um, not being hung over every day, that is pleasure, right? By totally. shit every morning, that is definitely violating one of my core values. Yes. Um, connection, you know, I wouldn't remember conversations I had at night. I wouldn't look my husband in the eye in the morning. I felt like I was always dodging and weaving, you know, being able to have a conversation without shame. um, You know, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. One of the reasons that I really helped me stop drinking or, or was powerful to me was um, my son was eight, Hank, you know, Hank was eight when I stopped drinking this gorgeous little cuddly redhead. And I imagined when he was 17 or 18, a decade out, if I kept drinking the way I was drinking, knowing it's progressive, knowing you drink more, not less, would he want to bring his friends home to hang out at the house? Mm-hmm. If I was still drinking that way, would he not want to be around me like that in terms of connection and love was yeah. really powerful to totally. me and flip it to, Oh my God, when I don't drink 10 years from now, I feel like I'm going to have a really great relationship with this awesome human. I love more than anything. You know what I mean? Completely. It's funny because I was just romanticizing with my husband. I even still, you know, I'm going on 10 years sober and I'm still romantic, you know, can find myself sometimes romanticizing uh, the drink from time to time. And um, I was saying uh, our oldest is turning 21 this year. And I was like, oh, you know, I guess I feel kind of sad. I can't, you know, crack a bottle of champagne, you know, to celebrate the birthday or buy the first drink or whatever it is. Not that I couldn't, I guess I could, but just doesn't align with my values, you know, anymore. Um, But, you know, and, and my husband said, you know, gosh, but think of all the important moments and conversations you've been able to have because alcohol is not in your life. And I was like, yeah, okay. Thanks for the reality check. Yeah. You know, well, the other thing about pleasure and joy and experiences and connections. So I 
very much remember a New Year's Eve that I was so excited about. My kids were young and we got sort of a hall pass from grandma. We were going to go over with these other couples and like sleep over on New Year's Eve, right? Like pretend we did not have kids again. And I remember going over there. Obviously, I was drinking. I was very excited. At some point, I completely blacked out well before midnight. I do not remember going to bed. I was not there to toast with my friends or kiss my husband at midnight. I woke up with no memory and just the most brutal hangover and a shitload of shame. Like, yep. that yep. was not pleasurable at all. And not romantic, <laughs> not romantic, not connected, yeah. not in integrity. You know what I mean? And right. so I love New Year's Eve now, right? We do wish flying wish paper with our whole family. We, um, you know, bake a birthday cake because my son asked for it once and we do it every year. I make a vision board like that is very pleasurable and connected and optimistic making wishes for the new year. And all the crap, right? So the more that you can figure out what your values are, use that to romanticize sobriety, use that. I love James Clear with Atomic Habits to help build an identity-based habit around being a person who doesn't drink so that you can say drinking is out of alignment with the person I am at a deep level, like yeah. that will all help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we're going to romanticize sobriety, let's not forget the fact that the depth of friendship and connection like you and I share and that we share with other sober friends, there is nothing that compares to that, yeah. that any conversation over cocktail hour can match. I'm sorry. I can say that with 100% clarity. Me too. All right. Yeah. So we could talk forever, but um, tell people where they can find you and I adore you. So anyone who wants uh, to get in touch with Libby, like do it. I have friends who are not sober even and who have worked with Libby and like just rave. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, first of all, this was just the best conversation. I could talk to you all day. So thank you so much for the invitation. So folks can find me at LibbyNelsonCoaching.com. My website is in the process of getting a, a overhaul, but What's there now tells a lot more about my story, how to work with me, that sort of a thing. Um, people can also um, just reach out to me at Libby at LibbyNelsonCoaching.com. And I'm sure that will be in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to me about that. And Casey, it's just awesome. Thank you so yeah. much for the opportunity to come and talk about values. And hey, I want to I want to connect with you about doing values with Mike if he's game. So oh my God, his birthday we'll is the 15th. So a week and a half from now. So I'm going to see if I can throw that into the birthday present. I'll make you a gift certificate. I, oh, will you do it? Sure, yeah. do it. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. 
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.